Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Hello, listeners. This is going to be one of those rare episodes that require a content warning up front. In this episode, we're going to hear the graphic details of child sex trafficking as told by a survivor. Our guest, who will have their voice altered and will be referred to simply as Jane Doe, has a story that begins in Halifax, Nova Scotia, back when she was just 14 years old. Her chance encounter with a predator during an age and time of vulnerability led her through experiences she's very fortunate to have survived. Thankfully, she did, and she's willing to share her story with us tonight in hopes that it shines a light on the surprisingly active child sex trade, even here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So let's get into it. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, we'll be joined by Jane Doe, who will share her story of child sex trafficking. So let's let's start in in present day because what, what we're going to be mainly talking about is something that happened years ago. But let's start present day and tell me a little bit about your life now. So I'm married now. Um, I have a young child, uh, and really, I just um, I work in a helping field. So you know, I, I help uh, clients and what, I suppose the people on my caseload with basic kind of needs. Um, so I work in nonprofit. So I work with vulnerable populations and, you know, like the folks that kind of come along with that. So I hear lots of different stories, you know, um, myself just with my own lived experience. And I mean, uh, so I grew up as a child of the system. So, I mean, you know, with all the kind of struggles that can kind of come with that and, you know, all the barriers to being that kid you know, in the system. Um, I've had clients who've been able to relate to me really well. So I kind of think that that's my little superpower. In talking about it now, um, it all seems normal. But as we get through your story, you being where you are, even you just being alive, like is a massive success story, but especially considering what you've made of yourself and, and that you've been able to turn a, a really difficult past uh, into almost like a, a superpower as you described it for for helping other people so uh, before we get into your background do you feel yourself do you feel as lucky as i see you to be like do you do you feel like you've overcome something you know very difficult yeah i definitely never would have guessed that i would have lived to see my 30th birthday let alone uh you know get to have a child and be married and live my life with somebody who really doesn't, you know, he doesn't care about my past. He knows everything about me and still loves me anyways. And, you know, I couldn't have asked for anything better. Well, let's, let's get back to it. You, you back to, well, not back to your past. Let's go back to your past. Yeah. So you, you describe being like a, a child of the system. Uh, I know a lot of your story that we're going to talk about takes place when you're around 14 years old, 
what was your life like, you know, before you met the trafficker and when you were in this, this part of your life where you went on to meet him, like, what was your life like then? I moved around a lot as a kid. So I think I, gosh, I think I've been to almost every school in Halifax. Um, and even outside of the city and just moved around at least twice a year, sometimes three times a year. You know, it wasn't anything abnormal to show up at my house after school one day and find our whole apartment packed up and being told we're moving, whether it was mm. for one reason or the next. I never usually got a reason, but that was not something abnormal for me to just come home to find my whole life talking about moving. I guess you wouldn't say you had like stability in your childhood. Is that fair to say? It was definitely not a word in my vocabulary as a child. And how did that, like, it, it was it that way from the very beginning? Like are your earliest memories like filled with like instability and it continued until, you know, your teenage years or was there any dramatic change in your life leading up to that? Uh, the only real consistency I had uh, was what would have been my grandmother. You know, she was always there for me. You know, I, Spent weekends at her house, uh, spent some time, like she had custody of me for a little while. And, um, but other than that, I knew at least come the weekend that I'd be going to her house. So that was the only real consistency or any kind of stability I had as a child. Mm -hmm. and, and when you think back to like your early teenage years, how did, how did that lifestyle and the instability how do you think that manifested itself in your personality? Like, did it go on to kind of shape who you were at this point? Like, I, I just imagine if that was my kind of the foundation that I that I had underneath me, it, it would lead me to be a little different than I would be with a stable, you know, home life. Like, did it affect, do you think, who you were at that age? Oh, definitely. I was a very angry child, very, I suppose, impulsive. Um, and kind of, I suppose, six foot tall and bulletproof at 12 years old. You are definitely not at 12 years old, six foot tall and bulletproof. Let's get into what actually happens. Now, I know a little bit about your story, but, but very, but very little, just, just the basics enough to know how, um, disturbing it is that something like this can and I'm sure regularly does happen here in, in my city of Halifax. So maybe tell me about how you first went or first came to meet the, the man who would eventually be your, your trafficker. How, how did you meet this person? I met him at a bus stop, actually. Um, so I used to take the bus to school when I was in junior high, just because I lived out of the, uh, the district or however you, I was an out of area kid. That's what they classified mm -hmm. me. So I took the uh, the city bus to school and uh, met him at one of the major transit stops. And you you were am I getting it right by saying you were fourteen at this point when you met him? Yep. Um, how do you meet someone at a bus stop though? Like how did how did this all happen? How did you go about actually meeting a man at a bus stop? Uh, asking him for a cigarette, and okay. it was one of those I suppose in hindsight moments. Um, he was somewhat attractive, so I kind of see, didn't see him as, I suppose, maybe as threatening as maybe asking some guy in his thirties or forties, you know, when you're that young, mm -hmm. I'm going to ask someone who looks maybe a little closer to my age. How old would you say he was? Like, maybe, you know, but roughly like how old was this person? I didn't know at that time, but he looked to be maybe like 1920. 
Like, didn't look okay. too, too old, but definitely old enough to buy his own smokes. <laughs> okay. So you asked this person for a cigarette, but I, but it doesn't all happen right here. Did you not like kind of slowly form a relationship with like this stranger at the bus stop? Am I understanding that right? Yeah, I just seemed to like start seeing him everywhere. So, you know, I'd see him at the bus stop basically every morning that I got off the bus to go over to my school. I'd see him in like in the mall. Uh, it just seemed like for a while, almost everywhere that I went, he was around. And just really mm -hmm. friendly, just always seemed to want to, you know, kind of start up a conversation with me or ask me how I'm doing or just tell me how nice I looked that day. And it would seem really harmless at first, like it was just normal kind of conversation. And yeah, it's not like you're like online writing to this person and texting. It's just you're just running into him around town. Am I getting that right? Yeah. And actually, Facebook had just come out at that time. Like a friend of mine in my mm -hmm. class was trying to get me to join. and I was like, no way. I'm still a diehard MSN fan, if that almost okay. ages me. <laughs> I remember Facebook coming and people trying to get me to join. Um, Would have been about 2007. All right, so you, you're, you're seeing this person around. It, it doesn't seem like threatening or unusual. It's just this slightly older, friendly guy, yeah. I guess is how we can put it. How did it, but it eventually gets to a point where it becomes more than just like a friendly stranger and it becomes personal. Like, do you recall how it got to the point where you would actually be going places with him as a 14 year old girl with, you know, a maybe 20 ish year old guy? Well, it was around this summer. Um, so at that mm -hmm. point, um, cause my birthday's later in the year, um, I had turned 15. Um, and then come the summertime, I had seen him and we exchanged phone numbers at that point so he was texting mm -hmm. me and said hey you should you should come down to my apartment and you know come party come have some drinks and you know you should bring some of your friends if you want like it seemed very like non-threatening it wasn't come alone you know it was you know bring all your friends and totally feel safe and you know like if you want i'll even pay for your cab ride and it just seemed very kind of nonchalant and at that age, very naive. So there was zero red flags going off. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, uh, I guess another night for the most part, just going to somebody's house. Yeah. And um, what happens there? So you, you take him up on the offer. What What is this first kind of experience alone with his him in his own personal space like? Uh, well, uh, he lived in kind of like a fancy apartment, so kind of had one of those like rooftop kind of balconies that anyone could use. So I, I wasn't in his apartment, you know, for the first time that I had gone there, like the first couple of times. It, uh, so I used like this community kind of area that was in the building, like there was a bathroom there and kind of like a hangout spot. So when, you know, after we were drinking for a little while, I had to go use the bathroom. So just use the bathroom down in there and it wasn't really you know again kind of anything off or anything weird and mm -hmm. at that point you know like we, we were smoking pot and it just you know seemed like a really fun time but then my friend kind of bailed on me and left and again i didn't really think much of it and partied a little bit longer with him for a few more hours and then just took a cab ride home because at that point i was pretty drunk and couldn't walk home or walk to a bus stop so he paid for my cab ride home and you know, that was kind of it for the first time I met him. Yeah. And, he, and even like at this point, it sounds like uh, other than the fact that it's an older guy supplying alcohol and drugs to young girls, um, 
which of course is a you know super illegal and super creepy but it's not like he's done anything kind of threatening to you or anything at this point you had the night you go home but it's shortly after this i think is when things start to change yeah between you and him yeah just you know that night and you know just meeting up with him after that to just kind of hang out and you know uh like i did a couple of favors for him and it wasn't anything like sexual in that kind of nature but like at that point but then it became well now you owe me for you know like i got you a bunch of clothes i you know i've, I've given you a bunch of drugs i've paid for cab rides home you know I've, I've randomly just given you money and now you owe me for lots of stuff and you know if you want this is how you can repay me and i figured it was just a one-time thing but it you know it's never a one-time thing unfortunately mm -hmm. Just to give us get a sense of like kind of how the relationship was at the beginning, um, you said you, there was like favors you had done for him. If you can say like what 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 are we talking about? Like what what was it you would have been doing early on to you know that maybe he felt like you owed him for or something? Just like babysitting, you know. Eventually, he begins to hold over your head that. You know, I've been giving you money. I bought you some things, gave you pot and drugs. Do you remember how he first, like, kind of positioned that to you? That, like, you owe me, so let's, like, you know, have sex or whatever it was? Yeah, so, it's, yeah, just all of it's really unpleasant, right? So, you know, just mm -hmm. to, you know, kind of relive a lot of that stuff is just never really a, you know, happy feeling or anything. But, um... Mm -hmm. You know, I, I actually just thought that he just really liked me, you know what I mean, in the beginning, because he made comments before about just, you know, how, like, just how attractive I looked. And at that time, I hadn't, uh, like, been with anyone, right? So, like, I still had my virginity. You know, he always talked about wanting to take my virginity. So I just, you know, I thought that we were just kind of almost taking it, like, slow, like, almost like a relationship. But, but that kind of mm -hmm. conversation also was never had, I suppose, to make that kind of known, like. He never mm -hmm. said, oh, I want you to be my girlfriend, but he kind of gave off every other signal without actually uttering those words. So I just thought, I understand what you mean. So I thought when he bought me clothes or he bought me things or, you know, took me out or gave me rides places, you know, just to go for a drive. I thought it was just cause, you know, like he liked me and it was kind of part of the relationship, you know, and it seemed like mm -hmm. I could feel safe with him and tell him all about you know, how messed up my life was at that point and how I basically had nobody. And, you know, the thing, you know, again, in hindsight, that's probably where I fucked up was telling him mm -hmm. basically mm -hmm. how vulnerable I was and how easy it was going to be. Had target written all over my face. Okay. So, so in your mind, as you're getting to know him and spending time with him and it, again, he's like an older guy who has some money in an apartment. So, so that was probably kind of cool as a 15 year old girl and stuff but like in your mind it was kind of going that way where this guy may become my boyfriend or something like is that kind of how you saw it well yeah and you know where he knew i hadn't you know been with anybody at that point yet you know i wanted to make sure that my first time was special and as cliche as it could mm -hmm. sound you know i mm -hmm. thought that that's you know happened and that's definitely not the turn that it took and yeah um so when he eventually so he eventually propositions or, or presents it to you in a way like in exchange for the things that I've done, we can have sex. You you saw it not so much as um, 
I, I guess maybe you, you in your mind were kind of mixing it's kind of like my boyfriend or he's kind of becoming my boyfriend with it's just going to be one time and then we're even like how did you kind of i'm just wondering how in your head uh, at that point in your life um that was something you were able to do well he had convinced me you know that i should basically prostitute myself in order to pay for you know pay him back but he could keep me safe right so you know he could be my pimp and you know set up all my dates or i suppose whatever you want to call them like calls mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. um but he had to make sure that he went first okay so that so right off the bat it was it, it got right to that point is like you can pay me back by letting me sell you to other people but i'm going to do it for is that like it was it went that yeah. deep right off yeah. the bat and it was like at my turn first I think I'm surprised that his kind of moving you from like friend into like, I'll, I'll be your pimp was something that happened that quickly. Like, was that anything he did? Like, was it a situation where he brought it up multiple times or was it just, this is what I want to do? Nope. You know, it was, will you do yeah, it? it was basically just here it is. And this is the only way that you can pay me back. You know, you can't go to work, you know, so you can't, pay me back, you know, from some traditional job and you owe me, you know, thousands of dollars at this point and you're never going to get it paid back. So, you know, you can do it this way and it'll only just be once, but then it wasn't just once, mm -hmm. you know, cause it's not enough money. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, brought up, I know where you go to school, you know, and I know where you live and, you know, don't forget, I even know your root home and I know, you know, all your friends and I know where they live and, you know, Oof. it became pretty dark pretty quickly and pretty heavy pretty quickly. Okay. So the first time is, is with him and then like, uh, and then from there, was it like, was he connecting you with like his friends or like, how did it turn into, to it becoming almost like a business that he was running, preying on you or using you as, you know, well trafficking you oh well that's actually when i found out about the other girls and that he had already had a full-blown business so he had already had clientele you know and already had clients and guys lined up and yeah i don't want to call them men because men don't sleep with children mm, okay so i guess once this started this the, the the wool that was over your eyes was just pulled off and you saw like you know, I'm in this, like how, like that must've been a start, like a big revelation to realize like, oh shit, like this is, you know, what am I walking into here? Yeah. And it was, you know, good luck telling anyone and good luck telling your school, good luck telling, you know, the social workers that are in your life, good luck telling your, your, you know, parents, like anyone's going to care. And if you tell, if you tell anyone, they're just going to make you move again. Like you're just going to get uprooted again and mm -hmm. I'm still going to find you. And it didn't matter. And I wholeheartedly mm -hmm. believed him at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but at this time, it's not like you're like living with him or anything. No. How was he doing this? And especially if your mom was so on you about when you got home and stuff, like how was he able to make you do this stuff? Eventually, uh, he met my mom. So he came into my house, introduced himself to my mom as my boyfriend. I don't know why. You know, still to this day, I don't understand why she just never seen it. 
and just kind of never realized like also why is this older man you know around my young my younger daughter and you know he and he brings me things too you know he used to bring her a pack of cigarettes or bring her pills or whatever and just say here you know like it's just for you you know like being really polite and really just you know but any anything that he gave her i owed him for so i dreaded any time he ever went into my mom's house because it just became something else that i owed him for it was like a running tally and eventually she it, you know, it wasn't anything weird to my mom anymore that I just stopped going to school and I was just spending all my time with this really nice guy who obviously can provide me with everything. Like, that's how she kind of seen it. Wow. Okay. And of course, as you said, she was getting some things that would be attractive to her, like free stuff. And if she was an addict and stuff, like, yeah. I guess he was pray he, he recognized that and was preying on that as yeah. well. So it was um, nothing for me to just disappear and be gone for weeks at a time, sometimes a couple of months at a time, not speak to anybody, okay. not go to class anymore, nothing. And meanwhile, you'd be with him, stay, like staying at his yeah. place? Is that how that was happening at this yeah. point? And, and how, how quickly from when he first, like when he first presented this you know, life to you or this kind of way to pay him back to you, how quickly to go from that to you, um, being like, um, trafficked full time, I guess we could call it. Like, was it something that slowly happened or was it pretty much, you were just in, in no, that? just in it. Like, uh, okay. with, within a few days, like of being a hundred percent, like he, he picked me up from school first thing in the morning. So like picking me up at the bus stop where he met me at and I'd go to his house and be there for the whole day and get dropped off at my mom's house, you know, at the end of the day. And then it was just okay. like that for a couple of weeks. Then it was, I just stopped going to school altogether. Mm -hmm. um, now at the time you're a 15 year old girl. So certainly the people who are coming understand that you're, underage or at least they should unless they're um intentionally ignorant about it but what was like were, were were these people that you were meeting like what was what was that like how did they talk to you or did they talk to you and was it was it known that you were underage to these oh people? yeah and a few times i even just blatantly opened my mouth and said you realize i'm a child right like that i'm a minor i'm very much underage like it's not like i'm 17 almost you know like that couple of days shy of my 18th birthday not that that matters but it's not like i was close to 18 or 19 like i was 15 years old and disgustingly enough it made most of them just extra excited okay um like my from my point of view it's almost it's hard not to think of this as something from like you know, another world. And, but then when I put myself in it, that I know all too well that stories like yours, they're not rare. And it's something like, especially in my case, I cover a lot of missing persons cases and something that comes up a lot, especially when it's a missing young woman is human trafficking and sex trafficking. And like the story that you're describing is like, it's so easy to see how that can spin in the wrong direction. Um, like, did you feel like as this was happening, did you feel like you were in danger? Like, certainly you knew what was hap you knew what was happening wasn't 
right. But did you feel like you're in danger? A hundred percent. Like I knew, like, I just knew it. Any, like anytime I walked out of my house, like I just instinctively looked at, cause like I lived in, like, I suppose like a housing project, like at that time. Mm-hmm. So I look outside and there'd be, you know, there's a couple of driveways, you know, so there's one long driveway and there's like all the houses and stuff. So there's tons of cars sitting there. I just instantly am scanning all the cars to look to see if his car is sitting there. And nine times out of 10, it was, mm-hmm. or if I, I actually got to go to school one day. So I'm sitting in class and I'm looking out the window into the parking lot and just on the other side of the parking lot to the street to see if I can see him there. Mm-hmm. It just, and if you, and if, and he would just be like, get in, like he, he had full control over you. At yeah. That point. Or he would send me a text message, uh, you know, because he, he, you know, he'd be there in five minutes and said, you like, you better be outside. Don't make me come in there and get you. Was it more than th- like, was he actually violent with you at this point? Was it more than these kind of threatening messages? No, I just, he didn't need to physically be violent with me. Um, like he, he's, he used to throw things at like in my direction. I don't think he ever meant to like actually hit me in the face. Cause I mean, if he was to, I think physically, you know, harm me in that way, it would hurt his bottom line. You know, nobody's going to want to pay for somebody who's beaten up. Oh, okay. Um, It's something else I'd like to talk about too, is like, I think one of the ways he was controlling you was through, through drugs. You're, you're a young girl. Was he not supplying you with, with drugs to keep you kind of under his control? Uh, Well, he would tell me like, I couldn't take any money home. Cause he said, you know, money's a paper trail. Money's going to get me in trouble. Like he always kind of would flip the script on me and say like, I could be arrested because what I'm doing is illegal. So we used to use that as like a threat as well. So like if I made a hundred dollars on a call, I got, I got to keep $20 of it. And then on, you know, that $20 I got to keep, oh yeah, by the way, don't forget, you know, you owe for, you know, you, you got pills earlier. Like he would give me like, we'll say three or four pills that morning and say, here's your, like your drugs for the day. But you, I don't forget, you know, you owe me $20 a pill. Hmm. So on top of him keeping all the money, it was okay. Well now I got to pay for just what I got this morning and I need it because if I don't, you know, I'll be sweating. I'll be throwing up. I'll just like going through withdrawal. Okay. So it became really reliant on that. Were the drugs and the addiction for you, was that happening before him or did he get you into this as well? I did a lot of drinking, like, but it wasn't really like, I suppose out of control to where it was like negatively impacting my life. Like I wasn't not going to school because I was drinking or, you know, not, you know, getting into trouble with the law because I was drinking, you know, it was after, after I met him and after I got really heavy into the opiates and basically anything that anyone wanted to give me like i took drugs from you know strange men that i you know like that the guys who would pay to have sex with me would take random whatever it is that they would give me i didn't even know what it was could have been anything you know i could have been roofied i like in hindsight when i look back i i think at one point i just i didn't care anymore and almost had hope that i just wouldn't wake up Was this happening like in hotels or was this all like out of his apartment that this was a couple of uh, apartments that he had, but mainly hotels or, you know, at the the guy's 
homes themselves or in their own hotel rooms. Like the guys would get hotel rooms and calls. So those would be out calls. And he would just bring this, this, your trafficker would just bring you. He would just drop me off and say, you know, call me when you're done. You're here for an hour or you're here for two hours. And he would tell me how much money that I had to make sure that I came out with. And yeah. Wow. As far as the experiences with, with these, these people, other than like giving you drugs and stuff like that's pretty scary, but was there ever any moments you can think of that were like true close calls that could have cost you your life? Cause I, I just feel like the type of people that would be knowingly pay, uh, paying a underage girl to have sex with them like that. I just feel like that is some really dangerous people that would, you know, who knows what they would do. Like have there been moments where you're, where you're like, holy crap, I can't believe I got out of that one. Yeah. Um, I had one guy, uh, try to choke me out. He left out like bruises on my throat and like the, so my trafficker got mad at me for that. Cause he told me I had to look. That was yeah. your fault. Because now I'm bruised and now I got a mark on me and I had to make sure that I can cover that with makeup and nobody can see that. And because again, you know, if, if people ask questions, I'm going to be arrested for prostitution. Okay. And so yeah. he, he was able to spin everything to like, and now you owe me more and you got to keep your mouth shut and it's your fault. Yeah. And one time I had to call him because another guy got really rough with me. Um, and when he had to come and quote unquote rescue me, you know, he got really angry with that and screamed and yelled at me and said, you know, it's my fault yet again, you know, and I'm such a wimp and, you know, I need to get a thicker skin and I need to be tougher and he can't always be there to rescue me. Oh man. It's, yeah, that's so troubling to hear. And it's as you're there, you really have no one because it's not like you, you would have been afraid to turn to anyone. You obviously you don't trust him and you realize he's, you know, the cause of all of this, how, like, how did you feel? Like if you think of kind of the darkest points when you're in the middle of this completely under his control, addicted to drugs with no one else to turn to, like how, when you think back to those days, how did it feel? Especially as a 15 year old, I can't imagine living that life at that age like do you recall like what was in your head you know when you at the end of the day when you laid down in your bed like do you recall what you were thinking yeah i i i wished i like i wanted to die i tried to hang myself once over it it just yeah and that, actually when i did that uh my mom kicked me out and told me that i was being selfish because i you know was going to leave my you know, my body hanging for her to find and said, since I wanted to be like that, I wasn't going to live under her roof anymore. So she put my life in further danger by making me a hundred percent reliant on now having to live with the guy who was trafficking me. It was either that or go live in one of the group homes. And I ran away from all the group homes. So, and then now I become, you know, one of the missing kids, you know, that you see on Facebook now, like the ones that, you know, are part of the system. Like you can tell from the photos that they take. Mm -hmm. So I just think now, like had there been social media back then, it makes you wonder like what people have noticed, you know, would they have noticed that I was missing, you know, would they have seen me because they see me around the city a lot or see me with this one guy a lot 
But then it also makes me wonder, would people leave the same kind of hateful comments under my photo that they leave under the photo of the young girls that are missing now? You know, they're mm -hmm. not always mm -hmm. runaways. Yeah, certainly not. Um, so this happens where you finally leave your mom's house. You're with him full time. Is this kind of like where it's at its worst? Like if you think of that part of your life, is that kind of when, it, you know, you were deepest, darkest down in this situation? Yeah, at that point, I had almost contemplated using needles. I didn't, thank gosh, because I don't think I'd ever come back from that. I still don't even know how I had to come back from the drugs that I did come back from. But, you know, and to have almost 13 years sober now, it's just, it's, you know, and it's still a struggle. And now that I go through all of this stuff in present day again, you know, that, you know, mm -hmm. threatens my sobriety. And, you know, it's just, it's a lot to kind of go through and reprocess. And Well, let, let's start getting to um, you working towards sobriety. This... How long in, in total were you it, trapped with this trafficker in this life? Like, how long did this go on for? Uh, about three years, almost, almost wow. four. And, and how busy was it? Like, at the kind of the, when you were like full time being trafficked, how many of these, like, how often was he selling you to people? Like, in a, in a day, like how many, I think you use the word dates, yeah. but obviously we know that that's not a nice way to put it, but how many a day would this have been? Uh, really on a slow day, like, and I hate using those terms, but like on a slower day, like maybe five, um, on like, we'll say in like the summer months, you know, like in the warmer weather, you know, and when it was more busy, like at least a minimum of 20, in the run of a day. Wow. Wow. And as uh, just based on the relationship you described as the 15, 16 ish year old girl in this, it doesn't sound like you would have had a lot of say into how this happened. So you were literally just being fed to the wolves yeah. each time. Okay. So eventually it gets to the point that you get out of this. What led like, do, do you well, let's first say, what, how did you get out of it? How did this He stop? got arrested. For the, for what he was doing? No, uh, for one of the other girls, uh, including me, there was uh, seven over that three-year period. And, and did, you, did the girls, like, did you all know and connect with each other and, like, stay together? Like, did you, you all knew what was going on? Uh, a few of us. One of them, uh, she got out because she got pregnant. So he could just okay. kind of let her go and never heard from her again but and one of the other girls had gotten married to like one of her johns oh my god like he took really good care of her i guess she had said you know and he kind of got her out of the life so you know and he married her and I have no idea what happened to her nowadays i assume that they're still married but again i have no idea i would hope that they still are mm -hmm. uh and were all of these girls that were in this alongside you all underage? Yep. Um, wow. So you say one of them, he, he gets arrested because of one of them, something that happened with one of them. Do you know, like even vaguely what went on, what led to his arrest? Oh, uh, I know that it was one of the girls, like, cause he actually kind of dated one of them, like, or, and I only really use dated, maybe from better word is like play favorites. You know, so he kind of okay. favored one, 
which, uh, and I hate using like, you know, the way that I, it's going to come out because it's just going to make me sound maybe awful, but he just kind of laid off of the rest of us a little bit more, you know, and he kind of seemed to like mm -hmm. play favorites with her and, you know, like she got, you know, like most of the calls, for instance. So none of us really had to do any anymore. And, but he actually, I know, got physically violent with her. Like he, he almost threw her into Peggy's Cove once. I wasn't there for that, but I had heard about it after the fact. Was that something he threatened? Yeah, all of us. The girls with, with, with specifically Peggy's Cove or just violence in no, general? No, uh, well, like a little bit of both, but like specifically with Peggy's Cove, you know, because those black rocks will suck you right out to sea. And, and so the threat would be, I, I'll take you to the Black Rocks at Peggy's. Yeah. Well, like this, and, it, for one, it's a very Nova Scotia threat, but it's that's very dark. Yeah, and, and he said, you know, nobody would find you or, you know, like sharks would eat you or just, yeah, just you'd, you'd never be found. Wow. Okay. So there's this one girl that he seems to be favoriting. Um, what leads to him being arrested as a result of this? I think one of her, her friends might've been the one, I don't really know, but I know like somebody connected to her was the one who made the initial phone call to police. And okay. then he was arrested so the, the, and, you know, for trafficking yeah. like a young girl. Okay. Um, so he eventually gets arrested. Certainly at this point though, despite like the rug that's underneath you being a very toxic dysfunctional rug but it's pulled out from under you what was your life like you know when your pimp i guess if that's yeah. even the right word in this case is put in jail like wouldn't you have been completely on your own at that no point? um because actually it was just a coincidence like a couple of weeks prior to that because at this point it's almost christmas time my mom had messaged me and asked me to come home you know, that she wanted me home for Christmas and didn't want me on the streets for Christmas. And her words were actually, you know, it's getting cold out. You should come home. It, wow. And just perfect timing that this all yeah, happened. And, with... You know, and I got to go home because, you know, at that time, again, he was kind of like, I suppose, playing favorites, you know, with that one girl. So he didn't really care what I did anymore at that point. You know, so he didn't, he didn't care that I went home. So I took a cab home. Um, and then that's where I was when I found out that he got arrested. Wow. Um, when he gets arrested though, it, it, like he had this operation going where he was doing this to multiple girls. Um, one of them is involved with his arrest, but did you like, did you get involved in this? Like, did you tell the police what happened to no. you? Um, when I actually, um, I was out when I guess the, uh, the cop from at that time would have been vice, uh, came to my house, like to my mom's place and left his card. Um, as far as like, you know, he didn't tell her anything. He just said, you know, Hey, can you just get her to call me? You know, I just have some questions. It's just about an investigation. And at that time I had, um, a friend shot dead on my street. So I just told my mom, you know, oh, like the police were just questioning everyone who knew him. You know, and that's like, it's probably just because of that. And I had okay. called him and I said, like, you know, just please leave me alone. Like, I don't, I don't want to get involved. I can't get involved. Like, he's threatened to burn my house down. You know, he threatened, you know, like he said that he'd kill me and I wholeheartedly believe him. So, like, please don't get me involved. And, and you know, he was really great about it and said he wouldn't get me involved. And 
so I didn't, and I never testified, and I never gave a statement, and and then he was found not guilty. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, so just to, to recap it then, so the this happens, the police come to you, but with a very soft approach, like we just want to talk to you about this, and, and you straight up tell them, like, I want nothing to do with this guy, and that is because, as you said, he threatened to, you know, burn your mom's house down, kill you, throw you off Peggy's Cove. Uh, and the cops were, I guess they respected that. And they're like, yeah, all right. Yeah. Leave you alone. And you're, you're what's like 17, maybe at this point. 18. 18. Wow. Okay. So I'm guessing at this point is when your connection to him ends, but maybe not because I'm just thinking as well, he is likely in some hot water and he's probably going to make sure none of you girls say anything about him after this happens are you still hearing from him or was it just yeah yeah no i did hear from him uh throughout his whole trial um throughout the time that he was on bail like he showed up at my mom's when he was out on bail like and apparently even though i didn't participate like i have heard from one of the other girls uh because she called me and asked me you know, to like, please help her out and testify. And I said, I won't. And, but she said, you know, I just want you to know, even though I'm not a part of it, I guess the like no contact order at that time was still put in place with my name on it as well. And did like, let her know, okay. like if he shows up at my house, like just know that like I can call the police, like even though I'm not involved, there's, there's no contact order. And I didn't. I was just absolutely terrified and I just you know I believed him when he said like I promise I'll never I'll, like I'll never talk to you again like I'll leave you alone like just don't get involved yeah so, so tell me about that is so he actually talked to you about it and asked you not to get involved yeah. do you remember that like what did how did he pitch that to you because that's a that's a big ask of someone you've been trafficking for in feeding with drugs for years like do you, do you recall how he ex offered this to you well he basically like and like this is where i just at that time i just didn't really care you know and i just wanted it to just be over and i i just you know i would have i suppose eaten up anything you would have fed me but he kind of came to me almost as like i guess a broken man kind of thing you know he was really emotional and just talking about like i don't want to be spending the rest of my life in prison and it's not fair and you know and he said that if i testified you know i would be that nail in the coffin for him and you know my testimony would just be so damaging and i was the youngest one and you know he just said like mm -hmm. please don't and I'll, you'll never hear from me again i promise and all right but in hindsight now it's like he's scrambling trying to get himself out of the hole that he knew how like he knew how deep he was in it and get it and convincing you to keep your mouth shut was something that could have helped save him i suppose was it like you probably felt a little guilty maybe like what like was it the guilty or the fear or like what prevented you from going through with saying anything um mostly the fear really you know and at that mm -hmm. point i just thought you know like this may actually be my out like and if this is what it is you know and this is what it's going to take that, you know, he's really going to leave me alone. And now that I'm an adult, you know, like a legal 18 year old adult who's, I can make all my own decisions now. Like I'm not under the care of nobody, you know, I just, I can finally move on with my life and maybe get a fresh start and 
not have this define who I am, I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And if it means that I don't testify and I get that in exchange, it was worth it to me at that time. And when I look back on it now, wow. it's like, it's not, it wasn't worth it because, you know, he managed to turn, you know, six of us against, you know, the, like that one girl who was brave enough to testify. And, and is that what happened? Is it like the rest of you kind of agree? Like, we're not going to say anything like screw her for doing yeah, that. And I had heard, you know, again, cause it's like a little bit of hearsay, but you know, through one of the other girls that, that did testify, it was on his behalf and not hers and to basically discredit her. Wow. Um, that's must be heavy to look back at those decisions. I was just lucky to be alive at that point. And I just kind of felt like, you know, I don't really want to rock the boat and I don't want to maybe jinx this and if this is really going to be it for me and I'm going to get to move on, you know, I'll do anything that it takes so I can move, just, just move on and let it go and let him go mm -hmm. and never think about this again and move on with my life. And then it's, it's around like after his trial, he's found not guilty. The girls that are, was, who are being trafficked alongside of you, did you all just kind of separate and go about your lives after that? And you don't see him anymore once you've agreed to not talk to him or, or how did it kind of end between you and him as far as being in touch? Yeah. At that point, like I just, you know, I had blocked cause I finally, you know, joined the Facebook world and I blocked everyone. Like I blocked all the girls on Facebook. The only one that I didn't block was him because he told me, you know, that he was going to be moving away and that I better stay in touch. So he can just keep tabs okay. on me and know what I'm doing. So I kind of had no choice, you know, for a few years there to like leave him on my Facebook and leave him on my social media and felt like, you know, I wasn't even allowed to change my phone number and because I had to keep the same number in case he had to call me and ended up waking up one day. Wow. Like, and this was at that time when I had met my now husband, I just said, you know, what, like, I'm not doing this. Like, you're not going to do this to me for the rest of my life and ended up blocking him and I hadn't heard from him you know at, like after that so and still this day haven't heard from him wow Sorry to pull you out of the discussion like this, but I want to take a moment and let you know about a bonus type episode related to the Nova Scotia mass shootings that I recently posted exclusively to the premium feed. On Saturday, May 21st, Paul Palango and Adam Rogers and I hosted a live Q&A and discussion event at On Paper Books in Sydney, Nova Scotia, and I recorded the whole thing. You can hear the recording of the event and access a whole bunch of other premium content at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. So if you want to support the show and give yourself more of it, again, go to patreon.com slash nighttime podcast and go premium. And as a gentle reminder, all annual subscribers of the premium feed receive a nighttime swag back by mail. Now let's get back to the episode. We'll get to the present day shortly, but after being through this experience, you, as we talked about in the beginning, you've gone on to, you know, find yourself in a normal, healthy life uh, with with a family and a job and all this stuff. Like, the, I just feel like the hurdles that would have been in front of you coming out of this must have been so heavy. Like, how did? How was it going through kind of the things people go through in life 
having just escaped this, like, for example, like meeting your now husband must have been a really unique or a really complicated experience for you versus someone who hadn't been being trafficked for years. Like how did this experience affect you, you know, finding your yourself to finding your way to where you are now? Um, well, with kind of, I suppose with the PTSD with it all, um, I went through, mm -hmm. you know, this really weird couple of years, like, you know, after meeting my husband, my, my, well, my now husband was that I, I felt like I couldn't go shopping, you know, to buy myself clothes without, you know, him coming with me. Like, and that, you know, I felt mm -hmm. like, you know, I wasn't allowed to pick out clothing without his input. I wasn't allowed to, you know, cut my hair without his input. You know, my hair was a, like this one color you know, because my trafficker made me dye it that color and it was that color for years. And when it finally kind of came time to getting rid of it, I just, I felt like, you know, like, like I needed permission, you know, and it was this really weird panic feeling, you know, like, uh, not getting my nails done anymore, you know, cause like I was forced to always have my nails done. Like I, I hated having them done. And I felt like, like this freeing kind of moment where it was, you know, I don't have to do this anymore, you know, but, but trying to move on in my life, like going places by myself, you know, like I, I still to this day really struggle with going places by myself. Like, um, you know, I, I can't, I can't have people like sneak up behind me. You know, I can't have somebody like, mm -hmm. if I don't hear somebody walk up behind me and they say something like I could literally jump out of my skin. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. even sometimes Did just, you, you know, going to sleep at night, you know, like I, I can't, I still can't even sleep, you know, to this day, just properly, just things have, some things got better and some things never changed and some things got, mm -hmm. you know, changed for the worse. Mm -hmm. Did you go through any kind of like therapy or counseling to get over? Like, cause what you've been through is just insane. When I like to read this story and then think about what my life was like at, you know, at that period of time, it's two completely different worlds. Did you ever get any help for this? No. Um, like, I mean, I went to rehab um, after, you know, like mm -hmm. the trial was over and, you know, and I was able to, you know, secure a place and I did 90 days and, you know, I did some therapy through that, but I had a lot of just other trauma to unpack that didn't really have anything mm -hmm. to do with my trafficker, you know, and so I never kind of really got around to dealing with it and figured... I just felt lucky to be alive and didn't really want to poke at that scab and figured we'll just yeah. let it go and, you know, kind of don't complain mm -hmm. was the weird mindset that I had. And I felt like talking about it was almost wow. like complaining about it. Um, but regardless, you know, 16 years or so pass, you're at where you're at now. And we, we talked about that at the beginning of, of our talk here is you're in a, a very good spot. But do you feel like you you've kind of found yourself and found your place in the world or is this still something that's just weighing really heavily on you and you know affecting your ability to live your life um a little bit of both um especially you know when i mm -hmm. first kind of came out about my story a few months ago you know and like and told somebody that i worked with um you know and then i made my statement with you know the rcmp so i called the tip line like the human trafficking tip line and you know mm -hmm. so i just it's been a little bit easier with not feeling like it's always like sitting in my throat, you know? And okay. Cause you kept it in like, other than like your close friends, like you didn't tell no, people nobody knew for years and even still like not a whole lot wow. of people know. I mean, that's one thing that I've been getting a little bit 
easier with that I find a little bit healing is telling people, you know, like this actually happened to me. But, you know, I don't know. I'm in a horrible, weird spot where I feel like it is what it is. But, you know, I'm not allowing him to, to get away with this. And and I, and I guess since, you know, I, I had come forward, um, others have come forward. And some that I know about and some that I guess I didn't even know about. So, wow. So, so let, let's get to that. So you, um, starting with, so you say you, the first person you kind of broke your silence yeah. to, I guess you could say was someone at, was someone at work. Is that the, the first time you decided to talk about it and did anything in particular make you be like, you know what, let me tell you about my background. Well, because I heard that he might actually have been back here in the province and I okay. just was distraught by that thought. Because, you know, he had been gone for so long from what I had known was living in, a, you know, on the other side of the country. And there was just no way, you know, that I was ever going to see him again. And I'd never just have to worry and just put it out of my, my mind for so long. But I went in the mor that morning just so distraught. And I ended up telling the first person, you know, who came on shift that morning. And I just said, like, I need to talk to you. And Shit. yeah, so we ended up going out, you know, like went out to my car and had a smoke and, you know, was talking to that, you know, staff. and you know, went kind of went through it and kind of had like probably the worst panic attack that I've ever had in my life. Cause you know, it was all coming out, right. You know, and all that emotion and all of the, you know, unpacking it all, you know, and I, I still kind of feel bad for almost, I suppose, trauma dumping it all on her. Trauma dumping. Um, I've never heard that term, but wow. And it was like, almost like word vomit, you know, like I just, as soon as I started talking to her about it, it just like, didn't stop, you know, just that floodgate opened and it all kind of came out at once. And, you know, she was, you know, just very reassuring. It was like, listen, you know, like we're here, don't worry, you know, like we're a family here. So. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that must've been a bit like, that must've been pretty satisfying to like, to finally get it out to someone you trust and have a good relationship with and have them just be like, it's okay. Yeah. Like, was that, is that kind of like this kind of relief that I imagine it being when you had that talk? With well, them? yeah. Cause now I actually have people in my life that I can rely on. So, you know, and actually feel mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I can trust her, you know, and trust the people in my circle, you know, with my story and with, you know, my emotions and just being patient with the whole thing, you know, cause this is going to be, mm -hmm. you know, a really long drawn out process and, you know, I'm, I'm kept mm -hmm. in the dark for the most part, you know, for obvious, you know, investigation reasons. So, I mean, and just one other thought though, before we get to get to the police part is we, um, the whole time this was happening, he was trying to prevent you from having people that you could count on and having stability. Now throughout your life, you found a spot where you're stable. You have people you can trust and count on. You have, you know, strength that you can, you know, make stuff happen. Now, as an adult, you decide to go to the police about what happened to you as a child. Just tell me about about that, about how you notify the police of what happened and, and where does the stand? Because this it's it's unique to hear firsthand account of someone going after someone for something they did to them as a child in this situation. You hear a lot of stories of people being trafficked, but I don't think you hear about what happens when they grow up and have the strength to, you know, kick the traffickers ass, so to speak. How did this happen? Well, in that thought of, you know, finding out that he might have been here, you know, and thinking, you know what, like, I'm not doing this again, you know, it kind of instantly mm -hmm. made me angry. And that's where I've been kind of 
in like a, I'm ready to fight you kind of angry, you know, like, don't, mm-hmm. don't come for me anymore. Like, don't come for me now. I've built such a beautiful life for myself. I have so much to lose now and I'm not going to have you take everything from me again. Like you already did before, you know, and I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Like some vulnerable little girl anymore. You know, I have people I rely on. I have people in my corner, you know, and I have a family now and a, you know, in a trusting circle. So no, I'm not going to have him ruin that mm-hmm. with me now. So mm-hmm. that was why I was like, you know what? Yeah, I think it's time. So, and, and you did it through like a tip line. How does, like, what is that? How does that work? Yeah. So in Nova Scotia, uh, the RCMP, uh, they have a 24 seven tip line that you can call or text. So I ended up calling and I just said, Hey, you know, is this the tip line? Because nobody, like, they don't just answer, or at least, like, you know, they mm-hmm. didn't answer and just say, hey, like, I'm the human trafficking line, I would assume for safety purposes. <laughs> yeah. But I asked, and, you know, the officer that I spoke to was just incredible and great. And, like, gosh, I, like, we spoke for a while on the phone and ended up texting afterwards. I'm still in contact with him, you know, so, and I told him everything. And I said, even if it's, you know, because at that point, I wasn't really so much looking to press charges. I just wanted to make the statement and just mm-hmm. go from there. And once I was done making the statement, you know, and he asked me if I wanted to press charges, I said, yeah, you know what? Like, I do. Like, you're not going to get away with this. And no, you're not going to get to live your life, you know, scot-free. Like, you didn't do this to me and six other children. Like, we were children. And the other children who are also now women are, are they involved in what you're, what you're doing? I don't know. Um, so that's one of those, like where I'm kind of kept in the dark moments right now. So all I know is that, um, you know, that there's some that I don't know about and that's one part that I definitely feel guilty about, but I'm harboring kind of like some survivor's guilt over now is that, you know, maybe if I had to come forward all that many years ago, there wouldn't be new victims Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you live with all the what ifs, like, how old are they? You know, like, are they young now? Were they young then? Was it right after then? Was it happening? You know, I just, it's all the what ifs and all the questions that are left unanswered. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but something needs to happen. I'm, I'm sure yeah. he's not wherever he is. He's not there volunteering uh, at a senior's home, helping people out. Like this is yeah. someone who justice needs to find them. And you're at a position now where you can, you know, the what ifs don't need to be what ifs and you can, you can make it happen. How, how do you feel with this all up in the air as it is? Um, just uneasy, really. Mm-hmm. Like I, like I hate the not knowing, like anytime I get like a text or a phone call on my phone, like I wonder, you know, is it an update? You know, is this going to be it or, you know, and, but at the same time, kind of knowing that there's other you know, survivors out there who want to be a part of this and want to get involved and kind of gives me almost, um, I suppose, a nudge into my professional hat of, you know, there's women mm-hmm. out there who need me right now and need me to be the one, Hell yeah. you know, and need me to be the one who was the first, you know, and who's going to be like the strong one who's going to be there for the others. And I suppose lack mm-hmm. of a better word, it's not like set an example, but like set an example. Well, this story from start to finish is just, um, it's unimaginable to, but at the same time, as I said, multiple times, like I, I know that this happens a lot and that maybe that's what's so 
awful about it for me to to hear it in in like a full complete detail as you told but what i think is really unique about this is it's at the point where it's coming full circle where it's it's almost like you know in in I don't know if you know the movie it the horror movie but it's like it's about all these kids who face this monster um and then years later they come back as now adults and able to work together and take on the monster and it's like it's hard not to kind of see you as almost like you know the superpower version of the vulnerable you that he took advantage of coming back to you know get revenge for what he did to you and it's um I don't know. It's 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 an exciting prospect, but it's um, overall it's just so dark that this stuff that there's people like this who can pick out a vulnerable young person with an unstable house and just prey on them. Also disturbing that there are people who will go along with it and throw money at that kind of situation. Yep. Absolutely disgusting. And um, it, of everything we talked about, is there anything we don't get into that? or that we didn't get into that you'd like to share with people who've never heard a story like yours or ever experienced or ever heard from someone going through what you're going through. Is there anything else you want to tell us about? Um, I don't really know. Just, you know, I suppose just be kinder, you know, especially when you're seeing, you know, posters nowadays, you know, it's just with social media, we were able to get out just the word more, you know, and like, look, Mm -hmm. recognize the warning signs and, you know, notice that things are off, you know, with your children, with your friends, with, you know, like your family members and like, just, mm-hmm. just look out for each other. And just, you know, I, like just mostly a message for like other survivors is just to come forward because this doesn't have, you know, there's no end to this without people coming forward. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the signs, it, if I had have seen you, you know, 16 years or 15 years ago or whatever, as a young woman who is, or a young child still, an old child, yeah. a young woman who is caught in the throes of this, how would you have looked? Like, how, what would have, what would you have, if I encountered you somewhere or walked past you on the street, how would you have stood out? What would you have looked like when you're in the middle of this? Uh, always wearing heels, like two, three inch heels, you know, and like, short dresses or short skirts and Mm. kind of almost looking the part you know like young young girls shouldn't like i don't want to i suppose i want to be very careful with my language because i'm not trying to victim blame here at all but you know young girls at 14 and 15 you know shouldn't look like they're in their 20s you know they shouldn't be wearing Mm. you know like such heavy makeup but i suppose that was my day you know Mm. nowadays you know i Mm. see a lot of that stuff and it's just always in the back of my head that I wonder, you know, when I drive by and I see, you know, a couple of girls at the bus stop or, you know, like looking in that way, it just kind of makes me wonder, like, are they in that life? You know, and it, anytime I see a missing girl on Facebook, you know, a young girl, especially when it's one of the same ones, you know, that you see being posted multiple times, yeah. it makes me wonder, like, is she in that life? And it just, you know, I just don't know when there's ever going to be an end. And I don't think, you know, sadly, there's ever really going to be an end, you know, to human beings selling other human beings, unfortunately. I want to thank you for joining our guest and I for this discussion. 
As you heard during our talk, she is now beginning the long and complicated road to justice. And I hope to follow the case along with her if and when her predator finds themselves in a courtroom. And I hope it's soon. And with that, I'll end this episode of Nighttime. But before we part, I want to give some thanks. First, a big thank you to my guests for sharing their very troubling story with us. It takes great courage to air your trauma like this, and perhaps even more courage to fight back against your trafficker. You're an inspiration to others who've had the misfortune of finding themselves in a similar nightmare as the one you lived through. My hat's off to you. I'd also like to thank Monty Data, who contributed the music for this episode. But most importantly, I want to give a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you're listening on the premium feed. For about the price of a cup of coffee, you can keep the show alive at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And on the topic of the premium feed, let me thank the newest subscribers, Jason, Scott, Kate, and Brad. Thank you for going premium. If anyone else would like to support the show but can't do it financially, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas, if you want to get feedback on the show, or if you'd like to contribute a voice memo to be aired in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. And I hope to hear from you there. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.